KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. I used to get mad at my Welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5 in Austin, Texas, joined as always by Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hi, Jennifer. And I would like to propose a hostile takeover today. Uh Uh-oh. I, I, let's switch. We don't switch the the uh, the roles that we, we play. We don't very often. And no. I'd like to take over because you shared something with me recently that I think our listeners would would find interesting. Well, I'm interested to know what that was. Well, so. you, you share a lot of things with me, but this is one right. particular that I think we can share with okay. others. Ask away. Uh, you are now enrolled in a class. I think you're taking Spanish. I am. Okay, and you know we talk a lot over the past couple years about lifelong learning. Yes. And I thought that since you are now engaged in it yourself in a formal way, you're always learning, of course, but in a formal way, I thought it would be interesting to talk about the juxtaposition to returning to the classroom as a student and and what's that like both emotionally and intellectually. I'd just like to hear some reflections yeah. because, you know, from my vantage point on the on the teacher side, I often have uh, non-traditional students or auditors from, from the community. So I would like to hear what that's like a little bit. So first of all, tell us the class and tell us how it's going. So I'm taking Spanish and it's it's a meant for beginning students. Now, I did take Spanish in elementary school, grades two through six, but that was decades and decades and decades ago. I took Latin in high school and then a year of French in college. So I have some vague memories of Spanish, not real strong memories. So it's it's sort of an intro beginning course. And it's it's essentially 30 hours spread out over a few months. So um, it's not, you know, it's it's not even a full semester, but it's meant to just kind of get me started back in the flow. How many students Spanish. are in the class? There are about 20 of us, maybe 20 to 22 students. Okay. I haven't counted, but I'm thinking back to the classroom. There are probably about 20 of us, 20 to 22. There are a lot of things that are very interesting to me. And I do want to preface it by saying everything that I say is about my own personal experience and observations. The teacher is great. I really like the teacher. A couple of things that I think you would especially like about his teaching style. One, well, several. One, he asked us on the first day why each of us was there. Interesting. And so we went around the room and everybody gave their reasons for being there. What was your reason? Well, I said, you know, a couple of things. One was just to be back in school. But Mm -hmm. I also think living in Texas, we should know Spanish. Absolutely. And I need to to be more conversant in it than I am. Um, And people had a whole host of reasons. Um, He always thanks us for asking questions. Every time someone asks a question, That's he will great. answer it and say, thanks for the question. The other thing he has done just briefly that I think you would really especially like is he talked to us in one class 
about the class and how the class was going and about his teaching choices and method. And he asked us for for input hmm. for him about the class. And I thought that was really interesting. It was sort of a, a bit of a meta discussion about mm-hmm. the class. And I thought, wow, that that's really observant and present and thoughtful to say, hey, let's talk for just a couple of minutes about how I teach the class and how it's going. Now, being back in the classroom uh, as a student, did that kind of awaken anything in your brain? Did you start getting like a tingling or doing homework? Did you all of a sudden start to feel like, wow, I'm kind of a- awake again? Well, it, it had a lot of reactions. Um, one of them is um, you do sort of going back to a formal classroom setting many decades. I The last time I was in a formal classroom setting was in mid to late 20s. So 20 something years ago. Um, you're, you're revealing your age here. I'm, I, I can I do am, the math. Well, I will that tell could, you. That could be a puzzler. That's another reason why I took the classes. I'm turning 50 this year. And I'm like, Ooh. this is the year I want to do some things that I've wanted to do for a long time. So, <laughs> um, you know, you do have, there's a bit of a flashback experience. Um, and it's useful, though, I think, to put myself in that situation to be able to then set that aside and say, you know, this is a classroom. It's 2017. I am not eight years old. You know, I'm not in school before. So to be able to differentiate between school experiences that happened in the past that may not have been the greatest, but to now come to it as an almost 50-year-old with a host of world intellectual professional experience and bring that to the classroom and sort of have that replace memories that, you know, many of them great, some of them not. Another thing that I noticed right away, my 50-year-old brain is different than my teenage (laughs) and early 20s brain because Spanish, there is a fair amount of it that is just memorization. I mean, you have to memorize vocabulary. There are patterns and with verb conjugations, but that does not come as easily to me at this stage of the game as it did when I was a student in elementary school you know, middle school, et cetera. Well, I want, and I want to push on this and just to offer a, a reflection for you and for our listeners, because sometimes people say, well, you know, our, as we get older, our brains just don't work, you know, as fast. Or The truth is you are doing more now uh, in your various family responsibilities and in your vocational responsibilities than you did when you were 20. And I do wonder if your brain is just more packed. And so therefore there's just less of that uh, empty space, if you will, to to fill it up with interesting things or to memorize things quickly and whatnot. Your life is much more complicated than it was when 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 we were both younger. And I th- and I wonder about that. I'm not saying I believe that, but it's certainly a thought. Yeah, I, and I think it's very interesting because certainly if you think about the context of anyone's life, for for many people who are in school, if they're traditional students in their teens or early twenties. School is mostly what they're focusing on, and they don't have the other pieces of it. So that's a very interesting thought to think about how your brain is tasked. I will also say that um, I don't probably get adequate rest. Mm -hmm. And so I think that probably also impacts how I remember and how I think. Although, the, although I, I think you probably didn't get much rest when you were 20. Well, so, I mean, let's be it was honest. either that or sleeping, you know, 18 hours a night. I, I'm not sure. You know, what's interesting. Uh, I have had the opportunity to teach some night classes when I was a graduate student many, many years ago, 100 years ago, uh, at a community college. And I found those students, they were all what we call technically non-traditional, meaning that these are people who were um, not of the traditional college age and they were working full-time jobs or, or being at home as a full-time parent. And then on their own, paying on their own dime, they were coming in at night to do this extra work. 
And I will tell you that I had such amazing experiences as a teacher engaging with lifelong learners because these are people that are trying to better themselves for whatever reason, maybe professionally or just personally. And I was teaching them calculus and, and I really found that valuable. So as an instructor, it's wonderful to have these non-traditional students in our classes. Well, and everybody wants to be there. Exactly. So, you know, if you are in a situation where you're taking a class because it's a requirement, either for a degree or whatever the case may be, not everybody necessarily wants to be there. In this situation, we're all lifelong learners, wide age range. Right. You know, it's not for credit or anything. Everybody right. wants to be there. Speaking of wanting to be there. Yes. I would like to uh, revisit our puzzler. It's time. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I will tell you, and of course, now that you do homework all the time since you're in class, I'm sure you did this. <laughs> this was a challenging one. My my mother texted me with a possible solution. Was she right? I will not oh, reveal okay. because there are laws that you can't okay. reveal these kind of things. But let me just say that this was a very tricky one because, first of all, A, it was hard. It and, was. And B, it's visual. Let me remind right. our listeners as to what the puzzler is. And, okay. then, and then, Jennifer, we'll see if you have uh, anything to say. Okay. So you have eight matches, all of the same length, that you form a, a two match by two match square. So you have basically a perimeter of you know two matches on each uh-huh. side of this square that you make. Yes. For totaling of eight matches. Then I give you three more matches of the same length as the other eight. Uh-huh. And the question is, can you use exactly those three matches, you know, connecting them, you know, end to end? Uh-huh. End to end. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, not like in the middle or something, okay. but connect them end to end so that you can uh, divide this square uh, so that uh, we have two shapes each having the same areas. So we want to divide the area of the two by two square oh. into two equal parts. And Dr. Now, Berger, Dr. And, Berger. And, and, and we have a student who is raising her hand with a question. Yes, Jennifer Staten for the block. So, so what occurs to me is the matches do not need to be contained within the square, do they? Uh, they don't, but they... they they have to be end to end. They have to be end to end and, and touch the ends of, of the matches that are... That are part of the square. So a possibility. Go ahead. Right, so I've drawn my square, two matchsticks each. If you lay them one, two, three, with two on oh. the inside of the square and one on the outside still touching, is that is that so? So she's basically created a horizontal line that goes across the very the very center of mm-hmm. the square. Two of them are inside, and then one's just dangling. But that but is a very it's touching. That is a very clever solution. I will have to say that you have solved the puzzle. Not in the spirit that the t- puzzle was, but you divided it into two areas and you did use three matchsticks. Yep. Very clever. So basically you have two rectangles, uh, a one yep. by two rectangle on top, a one by two rectangle on the bottom, and then this little feeler sticking like out on the- tail. A little tail. A little tail sticking out on the right <laughs> edge of the square. Y- you have done it. So congratulations. But what is the, what was the sanctioned- You can in fact do this using all three of them without having any of them dangling okay. as, as How tails. How do you do it sans dangle? Okay. Now this is a little bit hard. You've got to play along with me. Okay. So, so let's just, first of all, uh, do something easier. Let's just look at the diagonal uh-huh. of. So if we cut the cut the square into into two triangles, just by uh-huh. along the diagonal. Now, if you remember the Pythagorean theorem, and you don't have to, don't if people are upset about this, just ignore it. But you can actually do a little bit of math and see that the length of that is going to be since each side is length two, then this uh-huh. is going to be two square root of two, which if you type it in on a calculator is two point eight something. Uh-huh. So basically, uh, the diagonal uh, is actually a little less than three oh, matchsticks. Okay. okay. So now imagine taking three match 
matchsticks and putting them together in a line the way that uh-huh. you did in your solution. But now imagine that where they meet with each other are hinged so they can kind of move a little bit. Okay. Oh. And now hinge them so they're almost making like a Z. Got it. Now fit it into that square and then keep expanding the Z until the two far um, outside uh, uh, ends touch the corners and so you get a little kind of a jagged you get a a, a jagged i'm holding mine up here Uh so i hope that the listeners can see it yes a jagged (laughs) a jagged diagonal and it turns out that then therefore since those two shapes are in fact um congruent then they must have the same area Love it. Okay. I love it. Okay. Now, what I love about this one is also that we came at our solutions very differently, but they both work. And I think that's a great model of there's not always one right answer, you know, and sometimes exploration will get you. Well, exactly. And you see insights because the truth is mm-hmm. you put all three of those together, notice, and if you just hinge them and then start moving them around, you actually you fall upon my solution. Mm-hmm. And my, the reason that I came up with my solution uh, when I first, so someone told me, asked me this puzzle and I came up with the solution I'm offering you uh, again by saying, let's lift constraints. Right. So let's just fail. So I put the diagonal in and then I said, wait a minute, but that's under three. So nuts. Right. That's not going to work. So I got to squeeze that in. But, and I thought it doesn't have to yeah. be a straight line. And then you start to, to jag it. So, I mean, right. you know, we had, we had the right thing. Um, so be, as we start to close up yes. this episode, yes. um, I'd like to know, first of all, one insight that you are experiencing or having now that you think you can take with you after this class is over to continue to foster this lifelong learning that you're you're now engaged in formally? So two things come to mind wide array. First of all, just how much fun it is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of factors I think are going into that. One of them is honestly, I think the fact that I'm not a traditional student, I'm not doing this for credit, and there's nothing hanging over me other than just I'm learning this because I want to. There's not a grade. There's not, you know, we do have homework. Um, He will check our work and show us if we've made an error. But is there online elements of this or no? A lot of online element. A lot of, well, a lot of the material is online. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other part is, and I'm still kind of wrestling with this, is the fact that, you know, I was talking about not being able to remember things as well. Honestly, you don't have to memorize them because everything is so accessible through apps. And so I've spent a lot of time during the class just sort of as a sidebar wondering, that's really interesting to me how that impacts the learning of anything. And we've talked about this before, but especially a foreign language where I don't have to rely on what I've memorized because I can access it within a few seconds. The, the power, in my opinion, about studying a foreign language, it, it allows us uh, to revealing insights into that culture. And it allows us to, to have a, a more empathetic understanding of that culture because the language is the conduit through which human beings communicate in that culture and you know for example in in japanese if if you if i ask you did i talk about this one no oh if i send you an email and i say i want you to do me a favor you know know, jennifer would you please do me a favor blah 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 and then if i were to sign it thank you in 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 this country that means thank you for considering this and it's a, a form of respect and you know best regards ed if I were to translate that into into Japanese and, and have it in the context of, of Japan in that culture, 
the thank you there is interpreted as thank you implicitly for accepting. So it's actually a kind of a powerful thing and it's almost could be interpreted as rude, like thank you. Like I'm assuming you're going to say yes, so thank you. And so again, the language reveals the elements and the structure of the culture, which I think is a great gift to get. Well, and and we are getting that and I'm I'm already hungry for more. Yeah, you are. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Jennifer, thank you so much as always for helping uh, keep our brains sharp. Uh, I am Edward Berger, uh, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. If you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear us tackle on Higher Ed, feel free to email Jennifer at jstaton, that's J-S-T-A-Y-T-O-N, at K-U-T dot org. Find out more about Southwestern University at southwestern.edu. And keep your brains busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at K-U-T dot org. You can also find us on iTunes. I'm Edward Berger, not with KUT News. He's Thank not. You. Do brain games really make me smarter? What is all this screen time doing to my brain? How do I protect my brain as I age? Find the answers to life's most and least pressing questions about your mind with the Two Guys on Your Head podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.